0: Now to the cross the tomb and beyond and so we've jumped into chapter 8 as you've just heard uh, Marvin read and uh, You know, I I I wasn't around Well, I was but I don't know when the show was quite on now. You know how old I am Um, but uh, 1961 it was an American TV show. I don't know if they showed it other places, but it was called to tell the truth And basically, the TV show was set up that there were three people who would come in and they would be seated, and panelists would try to figure out at the end of this show who was the real person. And so at the end of the show, they would say, would the real doctor please stand up? Would the real teacher please stand up? And they wouldn't know who was the real one, who was pretending and who was the real one to the end and then they would stand up. And so I I think today as we're moving forward and getting ready for Lent and going through the season, the question we need to ask ourselves today in the midst of all that we see around us is, would the real Jesus please stand up? It's interesting as we see all this artwork, all these different pictures behind uh, on our slide there, the different portrayals of Jesus. The different ways that Jesus is supposed to look. You know, you can actually get a Jesus action figure that you can play with. (laughs) There is that portrayal of him as the muscular carpenter, radical Jesus. And then there is that meek and mild Jesus for toddlers and the lambs. Then there's the feel good Jesus that a lot of churches promote. Then there's the simply a great human teacher and leader, an example Jesus. Then there is the Superman Jesus that is supposed to fix all your problems, fix all the world's problems. You know, Santa Claus, just a spiritual Santa Claus. And so in the midst of all these voices, in the midst of all these opinions, we cry out together, will the real Jesus please stand up? As we back up into our passage, Jesus now has traveled from Galilee, 25 miles north to Philippi, uh, from Bethsaida to Philippi Caesarea, or Caesarea Philippi. It's in the area of Laturia, and it's apparently a very pristine and beautiful area. As I said, it would take about two to three days to journey there, and there's this beautiful picture of Mount Hermon and the city below, and so Jesus again is pulling them away, his disciples. He's, leaving the crowds, but against the backdrop of this is pagan world religions. And so it's a place that was known for its gods. And so there was the town at one point was called Balinus because it was a place of Baal worship, you know, that Phoenician god of fertility and nature. And we know about Baal worship because we hear a lot of it in the Old Testament, don't we? And so it was called the town at one point Balinus. And then the Greeks came along, and they changed the name to Paninus because they had their god, who was the god named Pan. Some of you have seen the pictures of half-human, half-goat. That is the god Pan, and he was, they believed born up in the caves, in the mountain behind the town, and so it was called Peninus. and there was something else that had happened, because the Romans had come, and if you looked up at the mountain, you would see this Gleaming white marble temple that Philip, Herod Philip, this is the place of Philip now, he had built this uh, wonderful temple in honor to Caesar because they believed that Caesar was a god. He had become divine. And, And so, you know, there was actually in history, you will see within Judaism, there was a lot going on in Jerusalem because the Romans kept trying to send a statue of Caesar. And actually at one point wanted to put it in the temple that the Jews would bow down to Caesar. And so here on this pagan background of world religions and gods, Jesus has this encounter with his disciples. He has this encounter with them. It's interesting that he wants them to understand more fully who he is and why he has come. This week, we're looking, as we've already heard Marvin read, verses 27 to 30. It's their confession. It's the disciples' confession. We'll look at a familiar passage, God willing, next week, which is the disciples' lifestyle. And you'll see that in verses 31 to 38. Jesus has two questions for them. The first question is, he says, who do men say that I am? Now, Jesus knew who he was. Jesus is not asking this because he's become paranoid. Jesus is not asking this because he needs the praise of men. Jesus is asking this because he wants the disciples to begin to think and come to their place of their own opinion, as we'll see in a moment with the second question.
1: His disciples say, some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Some say a prophet.
0: See see a lot of people thought well John the Baptist cuz he preached like John didn't he repent we said that at the beginning of Mark repent for the kingdom of God is at hand that's how John preached but another reason you'll see in Mark 6 is because Herod Antipas remember Herod now back in Jerusalem that Herod he's actually believed that John the Baptist has come back reincarnated in Jesus to haunt him and so that's why some said well He probably is John the Baptist, reincarnated. Others said Elijah. Some believe that Elijah was raised from the dead, and Jesus now was the reincarnation of Elijah. But one of the reasons why they were saying he was Elijah was they knew that when the Messiah came, they felt and believed that a figure would come ahead of the Messiah, and he would be an Elijah figure. And so that's what they're saying. Well, some say, Elijah, you're that figure that comes before the Messiah. Then others said, well, he was, he's just a prophet, a good man of God, an honorable man of God, like Moses and Daniel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, and others. See, Moses, Jesus was like Moses because he declared the law of God. He fulfilled it. He was like Isaiah because he preached about sacrifice and the importance of holiness. He was like Daniel because the message of Jesus was prophetic. And it talked about a coming king and kingdom. He was like Jeremiah because Jesus carried out a ministry marked by compassion and brokenness. And he was like Hosea because he loved the unlovable and was willing to redeem the lost, the wretched sinners of Israel. There were other opinions of Jesus also. and We've got, known some of these. We've gone through in the previous weeks. John's Gospel tells us that the Pharisees and the religious leaders had this to say, he is a demon possessed and he is raving mad. The scribes said, we saw that a few weeks back, he is possessed by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, is driving out demons. The Sanhedrin said he has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look now, you have heard the blasphemy. So they're saying he's a blasphemer. And we've looked in recent weeks at what his own family said about him, that he's gone mad. (laughs) He is gone mad. He is out of his mind. That was Mark 3, verse 21. But you know what? As we study God's word, there were people who got it. There were people who got it. John the Baptist got it right. The angels got it right. Spiritual beings knew at his birth. The, the Simeon in his old age got it right, and Anna with him. The dying thief on the cross, a criminal, got it right. A Roman centurion, an outsider, the enemy, got it right. A blind man got it right. Bart- Bartimaeus got it right. We could go on and on. But the truth today, there are mixed opinions still today of who Jesus is. We live in it. We see it around us. We see all kinds of religions, all kinds of opinions about Jesus and what Jesus' mission is and was. And so we shout together, will the real Jesus please stand up? Some in society will tell us that Jesus, too, is a great teacher, a great example, a great moral leader. There are a lot of people who will tell us that today. Some people have good ideas about how he's the example of learning how to love our fellow man
1: and how to be good to others. But he will not be savior. And in their opinion, he is not God. There are many who believe in his historical existence.
0: If you asked a lot of people, Historically, they would say, yes, Jesus lived and Jesus died. He's part of history. But I don't pronounce him Lord, and I don't bow down at his feet. C.S. Lewis, I quote what he had to say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic or on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg or he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being just a great
1: human teacher. He has not left that open for us. See, they were saying that Jesus was John the Baptist, Elijah, one of Israel's prophets. That's a very
0: honorable title, isn't it? Because these were some of Israel's greatest men. These were men of God, used by God. And, And so it seemed very, very honorable. But the truth of it is, he is so much more than that. I like this illustration. A preacher in Philadelphia, at the close of a service, a stranger came up to him and said, I don't like the way you spoke about the cross. I think that instead of emphasizing the death of Christ, it would be far better to preach Jesus, the great teacher, and example. The preacher replied, if I presented a Christ like that to you, would you be willing to follow him? Oh, sure, I would be willing to follow that kind of Jesus. All right then, said the preacher,
1: let's take the first step. Okay. He did no sin. Can you claim that for yourself?
0: The man looked a little confused and somewhat surprised. Why, no, he said. I acknowledge that I do sin, that I'm a sinner. Well, the preacher responded, then I think your greatest need is for a savior and not just a good moral example. Let's not belittle who Christ is in our day. There are a lot of people who will say good things about Jesus, but it's not enough just to say that he was a good man, a good teacher. And so Jesus moves on to this second question, and now he looks at his disciples and he says to them, who do you say that I am? See, Jesus demands that they answer this question from the very core of their being before he can move on, before you can see them continue to move towards the cross. They need to get it. They need to have this answer. And they can't rely on gossip. Hello, West Prince. They cannot rely on hearsay. They cannot rely on what the politicians are saying or what the theologians are saying. They have to come to a place where they must take a personal stand. It's interesting. We see here, who do you, and actually in the original Greek, the you is emphasized twice. In Greek, I'm not a person, that, but they're telling me, the scholars tell me, in Greek it is, but you, who do you say? Who do you declare me to be? And so we know in Scripture, whenever there's a double emphasis, there's a reason for it. You is repeated twice here. What about you? And so Jesus, this second question is, again, not about his ego. It's not about looking for the disciples' approval of his ministry and what he's been doing thus far. It's not a test. I like what Caroline Lewis said. It's the moment when you come face-to-face with your own commitment, your own discipleship your own identity. It's the moment when you have to admit to what extent you believe and follow Jesus. And actually, it connects with some sort of confession of who you believe Jesus to be. So who do you say that I am? He says to the disciples, that inner core. And Peter as the spokesperson for the disciples, loud Peter, says, you are the Christos, you are the Messiah, you are the Christ, is what Peter exclaims. Now, understanding the gospel of Mark, as you look at that gospel, and we've been in Mark and working through Mark, it's understandable now to realize this is the pivot point in the gospel of Mark. This is the verse in the gospel of Mark. You are the Christ. Remember even last week with the uh, boat and at the end the disciples said, who is this? Who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? You'll see within the gospel of Mark, who is this? And Jesus will say to people, don't tell anyone who I am. Because there is this reality of who is this man? And so we see that at the beginning as we enter into Mark and now at chapter 8 we've come to this pivotal point. You are the Christ. And now moving forward in the Gospel of Mark, we will be dealing more with
1: why Christ has come in this pivotal point. We hear a lot of people say Jesus Christ.
0: Now, unfortunately, some people say that not the way we say it, and not for the same reason. There are some that would think that Jesus Christ, Christ is his surname. (laughs) It's not. Jesus is his name. Christ is his title. Christ is his identity. Christ is why
1: he has come. This is Jesus Christ, which means he is God's anointed one.
0: And it fits very much into kingly mindset. We start at the service with that, the king of glory. And, and, and this idea that the Christ is God's anointed one, just like in the Old Testament, They would anoint people as kings. God is saying now, this is the anointed one. As we'll know throughout scripture, the king of kings
1: and the lord of lords as we move into revelation. So against this backdrop of paganism and world religions and false religion, Peter looks at this humble carpenter from Nazareth, and he gets it. And he says, you are God. You are the Christ. See, deep down in his heart, Peter always knew it,
0: but he never had yet confessed it. You are the Messiah. You are the Christ. You are the anointed one. See, Peter got it. If bullheaded, loud Peter could get it. What does that say? I think you guys said it. Uh, Kenny was saying it, and the Bible said, anyone can get it. Anyone can get it. That's what that says to me. If Peter got it, praise God, there's hope for anyone.
1: We can all get it. There's hope for fishermen. Hallelujah. (laughs) And so he gets it. See, we need
0: to understand here, there's two things that are happening. And I think before we can even get into everything from Lent, we need to realize there's God's revelation. And then there's confession. Praise God, God is revealing himself to us. It is God's desire that you would know him. It is God's desire that you would know who he is. That that's not a mystery that has to stay hidden. God wants to reveal himself. God is the great revealer. And isn't it wonderful that God wanted to reveal him so much that he came in the flesh, the incarnation took on flesh and was born as a child, as a baby, as we came through uh, Christmas, and now we're moving towards Easter, took on flesh and walked amongst us. That's how much God wants to reveal himself. And he pours out his Holy Spirit. Oh, yes, the Holy Spirit is my comforter and my guide, but the Holy Spirit is the revealer of what? Truth. And he is working on the hearts and lives of people, wanting to reveal to us who Christ is. That is his role. The Holy Spirit exalts
1: Christ. And Christ exalts the Father, the three in one and the one in three. Peter discovered
0: that this inerrant, in- itinerant preacher from Nazareth was on his way to a cross, was the Son of God. Peter discovered that the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom, and Peter discovered that the kingdom of God is not just of this world, but a wonderful world to come, even as Pastor Sheila prayed this morning. We know this scripture. It's a great scripture by Paul. I think uh, Peter would agree to it as well. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will
1: be saved. Amen? That's what we call blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Because we can have
0: that assurance. You know that there are some today that believe as Christians, you can never have that assurance. We don't believe that. We believe that you can stand firm on God's word. God has said it, and you can believe it. And you can have that assurance. That if you confess, this is why when we pray to people, the sinner's prayer, it's important that people say it from their own lips. It's important that people confess it. Uh, The disciples that day with Peter had to confess it. You are the Christ, the Messiah. And so we know that Paul is saying in, in Romans that it's that confession. So there's God's revelation, but now there is my confession of it. I need to confess it that he is the Christ. He is my Christ. He is my Lord. He is my Savior and Redeemer. There was a time in my life when I confessed it. I can look back over my shoulder and I can see that day, that moment, August 26, 1984, at an altar in Mississauga, Ontario. I confessed
1: it, that he is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He came and died for me. And I accept that wonderful gift. So Jesus, knowing who Jesus is, is a personal thing. If Jesus
0: was to look you in the eye this morning, I don't care what age you are. I don't care how many years you've been in the church. If Jesus was to look at you in the eye this morning and say to you, who do you say that I am? I don't care who your grandparents are or your parents. I don't care any of that stuff that often we'll think is important. And it is important. Christian legacy is important.
1: But he's going to ask us all that question, isn't he? Who do you say that I am? What's your answer? And
0: you know, there's something here that we don't always talk about. There's something more here because the you that Jesus is using here when he says, who do you say that I am? Remember the double U, it's plural. And it's not just personal, but it is also corporate. And he is saying it to that body of disciples. Though Peter says it, he is saying it for all of them. And it is a message for the church of Jesus Christ. It is a confession that the church needs to revisit time and time again. It's why we have the sacraments, why we gather at the Lord's table. Because we proclaim once again, you are the Christ, the Messiah. And we forever have to keep that before us as the church of Jesus Christ our confession of faith and who he is. There's a little bit of a twist here because I'm sure Peter, great Peter, is looking for applause. He's looking for a gold star on his corner of his paper. Now that dates me, doesn't it? Because a lot of you guys don't even know what it is to get a gold star anymore on your paper at school. Well, see, when, when we were kids, we'd get that nice, and if you got a big one, it meant you really pleased the teacher, Right? And, and uh, so that was important to us. And, you know, Peter's looking for this recognition from Jesus. He, he, he's looking for Jesus' applause, and he gets the complete opposite. Jesus says, shh, don't tell anyone. See, that's odd for us, isn't it? But there's something in theology that we call it the messianic secret. And here we see that Jesus is saying to them, this is keep it a secret. My time has not yet come. And we know that in the previous passage, the man was healed. And when he was healed, he was told not to go tell anyone by Jesus. But he did the complete opposite and he told everyone. And scripture says he could no longer do the ministry that he wanted to do, he had to go in deserted places to continue his ministry so Jesus is rebuking them. Actually, the word here is really strong. He's rebuking them. He's saying that there, see, Jesus knew there were such powerful forces that were aligning against him, and this was politically and theologically dangerous and risky. Why? Because there was Herod. Herod was the king. Herod had been placed there by the Romans, and you don't go around calling yourself king when Herod is a king, and you don't go around calling yourself lord when Caesar is lord. And so Jesus is saying, you need to keep this on the down low right now. See, it's once we get into Mark 14, verses 61 and 62, the mystery is lifted because the high priest asked Jesus in that passage,
1: are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus responds, I am. I am.
0: As we bring this to a close this morning, The opposition now is starting to gather. Christ knows that the cross is before him. He is starting to walk towards that cross. He's now trying to prepare his disciples with the reality of what it means. And even for us today with world religions and diverse opinions, even in our own families, Many of us have confessed Christ as Lord and Savior, but we could sit at a family table, and everyone in our family would have a different opinion about Jesus.
1: Oh, my friends, we need a fresh revelation for God to reveal. That's the power of prayer. That's
0: the power of prayer. God is revealing his truth to people. What we're praying for is people's eyes to be opened to see. We talked about that a a while back, about hardened hearts that prevent the move of God. That's why we pray for people, that they would see revelation of who Christ is. That's God's part. We're to proclaim him, but God reveals. The Holy Spirit does the work in people's hearts and minds. But what's our role? Our role is to confess him. That's what we need in this day against the background of so many different religions. Like Peter, we too need to discover that this wandering, good, example teacher from Nazareth who was heading for a cross is indeed the Christ. It's interesting, as you uh, back up in this passage a little bit, uh, Mark is setting up the scene for us because the story behind this is the blind man who was healed. And that's the story of the blind man who didn't just need one touch. Because he didn't see clearly, he needed the second touch. See the story? How now Mark is leading us up to these two questions. Who do they say that I am? That's that first touch. Oh, John the Baptist, Elijah, good prophet, good moral example, good teacher. And then that second touch that the disciples have experienced. Who do you say that I am? What are you seeing? And Peter says, you are the Christ. What are you seeing today? See, wrapped in this invitation to discipleship is this opportunity to have a renewed vision of God. If there's any time that we need a revelation, we need a renewed vision of who Christ is and what Christ's church is about and what we should be doing is in the midst of COVID, in the midst of a pandemic. We need a fresh new revelation We need renewal. Some of you need your eyes open today to see him as the Christ, God's anointed one, the uh, uh, the, uh, Messiah. You know, our lives are full of questions, aren't they? Uh, I had to get up this morning and decide what I was going to wear. That's that's always a mess on Sunday mornings. What am I going to wear today? You know, that won't matter for eternity. That won't matter tomorrow, what I wore today. Think about it. Then there are important questions. Who should I marry? That's a very important question. (laughs) Who should I marry? What should I do as a career with my life? Those are important questions. But I want to say to you today, there is one question that's the most important of all. And how you answer it is the most important of all. It's this very
1: question from the very lips of Jesus himself. Who do you say that I am?
0: So you may believe that Jesus is a good teacher and he was and is, but he is so much more than that. You may believe that Jesus is the greatest miracle worker and he is and he was, but he's so much more than that. Your verdict today someone said it's like you are the, there's a court case going on and you are the jury. And as you're there, your verdict is so important on what you come to, what conclusion you come to this morning. See, your verdict doesn't
1: determine Jesus' fate. It determines yours. It determines where you will spend your destiny, your eternal destiny, depends on how you answer that question. I started with a game show, and some of us know this one. That's your final answer? You know, we
0: would see that show, and see, up to that point, people could be talking out loud. They can make their different calls that they could make. They're trying to figure out the right answer because it's going to either make them or break them when it comes to winning a lot of money or moving on in the game show. And, and and so you know there would come a point when finally
1: he would have to ask that, is that your final answer? They would have to say why. Yeah. Other game shows will say, will you
0: lock it in? That's your final answer. Lock it in. And I know that's kind of a strange way to end today, but I I believe for us as the church of Jesus Christ, I I believe for those that have not yet made that known or maybe have walked away, and today is the day where you need to confess him as your Christ, your Savior, your Lord. You need to lock it in. You need to say, this is my final answer. This This is what I believe. This is who I am. And more importantly,
1: this is who he is. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. Let's pray. Lord, we just come to you today and we ask
0: your revelation to speak to each one of us individually, but also speak to us corporately as a church. It's so easy in our day to lose track of why we're here and who you are and why you came. And Lord, even with this issue that's been going on with this pandemic, people have been all over the place. And there comes a point now as we walk with Jesus again this Easter 2021 in the midst of a pandemic. That we confess with our lips once again who you are. That we thank you for your revelation that comes knocking and seeking us. But there comes a point when we need to take our stand like Peter and the disciples that day. It might not be politically correct. It might not be popular. But it is the truth. And it is the truth that will set us free. We want to confess together with our lips that you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are our Lord, our Savior, and our coming King. And we enthrone you today. We're just so thankful that you have allowed us to have our eyes open to see that truth. Now, Lord, I thank you that the mystery has been lifted. It is no longer a secret to be kept. It is now something that you want the church of Jesus Christ to shout from the rooftop. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, God, we pray that as we go forth as a church today, as we start in this Lenten experience, walking towards the cross together, that that would be on our lips every morning. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. And I bow at your feet
1: and worship you. I give you all praise and honor and glory. Amen and amen.